The football season is almost here. This is Warren Sharp, and here at Sharp Football Analysis, there is no dead season. We've been working literally for months writing our 2022 football preview, and I will promise you this. This book is the fastest way for you to get smart for the upcoming season, period. I'm going to give you $5 off right now that's not offered anywhere else to use on your copy. This book is over 550 pages, full color, and previews all 32 NFL teams. It's got comprehensive fantasy football analysis. It's got every single line and total for every single game that's going to be played this upcoming season all the way through to week 18. It's got forecasted win totals. It's got betting advice. It's got predictions for the upcoming season and so much more. We're talking deep dives into all 32 teams and much, much more. There is simply nothing like this preview in the industry, and I can promise you that. So order your copy right now to take advantage of early bird pricing at sharpfootballanalysis.com and use coupon code ANGLES. That is A-N-G-L-E-S. Use coupon code ANGLES, and you will save $5 off your price. Go over to sharpfootballanalysis.com and pick up your copy today. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? This is the resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar. And you're usually used to hearing Dan's voice right now. We decided to give him a few weeks off after he's just been editing that Sharp Football preview book uh, for the last few weeks here as it's about to come out this next week upcoming. So definitely look forward to that. Uh, So I decided to take over here, have a couple guests the next few weeks. And now that we've moved into July, we're just a couple weeks away from rookies reporting training camps and then veteran training camps kicking off. It feels like we're really starting to hit that fantasy season moving downhill. And with me today with my first guest of the season, I brought in Matthew Betts. He's the lead writer, DFS analyst, and injury expert at the fantasy footballers, the SEO champions of the industry as well. Matthew, what's going on today? (laughs) what's up rich thanks so much for having me on man i've been looking forward to this show for a while you and i have had the pleasure of interacting a little bit across twitter Mm -hmm. and you know i love your work and listen to your shows and stuff like that so when you asked me to come on i was psyched man and you know like you said the season is right around the corner it's wild to think that training camps are just a couple weeks away and of course with training camps you know come injury and comes uh, fantasy drafts which injuries are such a huge part of so i'm excited to break it down today man let's let's do it yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I get to use this platform for that I like to cheat too is, you know, people that I've followed on Twitter and just having a chance to work with. It's nice to just say like, hey, we haven't had a chance to do anything. You want to come on my podcast and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just riff on, on some football. So that's kind of how I, I roped you in here. Uh, we've got a really good topic to kind of talk about. But surprisingly, even with no football being actually played on any fields right now, we did have some football news today uh, with the finally gotten news on Baker Mayfield finally traded to the Carolina Panthers today for a future fifth round pick and, you know, some salaries moving around there. But uh, that's one other domino now in place for this season. He's going to join Sam Donald, who still is technically under contract because they took that fifth year option a year ago. He's owed a little bit over 14 million. The Panthers also traded up in the draft for Matt Corral. Uh, So I'll, I'll leave it off with you here. I mean, how much does this really move the needle for you? Does it change any of your outlooks on any of the Panthers players? Uh, it's just, or is it just nice to have something that is actually real football to glom onto right now? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely nice to have that for sure. But in, in terms of you know the actual move and what it does for the Panthers, I mean, 
there's really no way to sugarcoat. Sam Darnold has been one of the worst starting quarterbacks, mm-hmm. obviously, in the NFL over the last three or four years, specifically the last two years. An average of 2.3% touchdown rate is putrid. <laughs> I mean, that is just yeah. so bad. So if you get replacement-level quarterback play from Baker Mayfield, which he has shown he is capable of doing, you know, taking the Browns to the playoffs a couple years ago before his injury to his shoulder last year, where the wheels really fell off, He's not going to be a fantasy superstar for us or anything like that, obviously, with Baker Mayfield. But can he support the weapons we care about in Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore? I mean, certainly better than Sam Darnold, I would say. So I think if you're a DJ Moore manager, you have to be pretty excited about what that does for his outlook this year. I mean, the touchdowns are always a concern when we talk about DJ Moore. We know he's a stud in terms of his efficiency numbers and his ability to pile up receptions and yards. I think there's a good chance he sets career high in touchdowns this year. So I think from that standpoint, I'm excited. In terms of what Baker himself does in fantasy, I mean, he's kind of that, you know, back-end QB2 streaming Mm -hmm. candidate that we look for most weeks. Yeah, as far as Baker goes, there's really not much we can do with the quarterback landscape, him not really being a runner. He's had just 16 QB1 starts uh, for fantasy football and 59 career games played. Just really high hurdle for him to get over and be more than like a super flex option, uh, a guy there. We also probably, you know, can't rule out, uh, no pun intended, that, Baker makes all these starts. What if they're so bad that, you know, they just give Corral a a look. Now, Matt Rule luckily is like in a position where like he's just trying to win games right now uh, to save his job. So, I mean, that's probably something that now has been pushed down the line, but still something that could happen in season. Like you said, I mean, DJ Moore is really the one kind of guy here that is kind of altered because Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall are just back end, you know, kind of flyers that we're hoping, you know, can, can hit Christian McCaffrey's locked into basically that top five spot. So really DJ Moore is the only guy that kind of this kind of really impacts from like a top down stance of like tangible draft capital that we're looking at it impacting. And if you're looking for like the touchdowns, I mean, at least you can say like Baker Mayfield a uh, career touchdown rate, much higher than the career touchdown of Cam Newton, Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold, all of the primary quarterbacks DJ Moore has had that have limited to just four or fewer touchdowns, unfortunately, each season. And last year, he got out of the gates hot. He had four quick. Uh, and we just, uh, it, it died up quick at the end of September. You know, when you, when you look at uh, DJ Moore, really kind of the one problem that we have, though, is just how much better do we believe the Panthers are going to be to kind of, can he vault like another tier? Everyone is treating him as like that, that wide receiver two based on volume. Uh, but can he get into like that lower end wide receiver one tier and kind of compete with some of those guys after that first tier of guys that we have anchored in? And that's a little bit tougher to kind of diagnose just because, you know, we look at the history of wide receiver ones and where they come from. They typically don't come on teams that win fewer than eight, eight games or more in a season. So is, are the Panthers going to be able to get there? They said six and a half right now over under maybe Baker moves that up to a flat seven, probably doesn't alter it very much. Uh, but that's kind of still where we are. Not a lot of real significant movement like you hit on. So kind of like, let's get into the meat of why we had you on out, outside of the talk about Baker Mayfield and the Panthers. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about your background here because, you know, on your Twitter profile, it does say you are a board certified orthopedic clinical specialist, physical therapist, which is quite a mouthful. Uh, you know, kind of break down like what you do as like a, a nine to five, you know, as you p- push into this being, you know, adding fantasy football to portfolio and how you found fantasy football and added it to kind of the space you already had. Yeah, for sure, man. It's been a wild <laughs> few years. Uh, so yes, as, as you were alluding to, I am a licensed physical therapist, uh, spent the last uh, five or six years treating 
uh, the injuries that we're going to talk about today, you know, ACLs, hamstrings, high ankle sprains, all those sort of things. So um, I kind of had a unique lens to get my foot in the door, so to speak, in the fantasy space in that, you know, there's people certainly covering injuries in the NFL, don't get me wrong, but, you know, there's plenty of space for more people to do it because there's so much fantasy content being produced and injuries are such a big part of it. So I saw that little window of opportunity. And mm-hmm. um, and what's really funny is I was listening to uh, the ballers on a, a run after work a couple of years ago. And, and this is so funny to share. They were talking about a player's injury. I can't remember who it was, but I just remember the information being, you know, I, can't, I don't want to talk bad about my employers, but uh, not the most accurate in the, in the world. And so I contacted them and said, you know, hey, here's what I do. Um, introduce myself. I'd love to help you guys cover injuries, that sort of thing. And they were all about it. And so that's how I got my start in doing that with those guys. And then literally each year that has gone by, I've done more and more and more. You know, now hosting the DFS uh, podcast, basically covering and writing 90% of the information in our DFS pass. So all that sort of stuff. So I've kind of had this new hybrid role of injury analysts, you know, covering those sort of things, but then also actually providing fantasy football knowledge and an injury uh, background to it as well. So it's been a very, very fun few years. And uh, just most recently in March, joined the Ballers full time. So I'm no longer in the clinic anymore. Uh, but certainly still using my knowledge and uh, and staying up to date with some of the latest research. Oh, nice. Well, congratulations on that move. Another, m- more things moving for you. Oh, uh, man. Dude, the, <laughs> the list just keeps going on and on. Yes. What, what Rich is re- referring to is uh, my wife and I just had twins about four weeks ago. So new job. We moved. We had twins. So, yes, it's been a wild year so far for the Betts family. Oh, wow, man. Yeah, that, that's exciting times. You know, I'm actually grateful for this new influx of being able to fantasy football getting so big that we can actually bring in people of like more uh, actionable backgrounds, you know, like we've got, you know, guys like you and Evan Porras and, uh, you know, uh, Ethan Turner. And because it just used to be guys like me trying to say like, well, this guy could be back. Like, don't, I used to have the hard role of like, I just would never really be optimistic about anybody coming off of injuries. But I think now that you guys are providing actual information it's allowed me to actually pivot from that and make some more uh you know solid bets on players that i may have just outright avoided in years past because i just used to be hands off uh so tie, tying that into kind of you know what the next what next question i want to ask you is with your kind of background what is one of the major mistakes you see people in this space use when it comes to you know incorporating injury analysis yeah i think there's two main things and one of them is kind of the off-season um, aspect of this and then as well in season. So we'll start with kind of the off season stuff. You know, it's so tricky because week one is always the gold standard for every player. Is he going to be ready for week one? Is he going to be hundred percent for week one? That's what every fantasy manager and gambler cares about is week one. But you know, what's really tricky is that it's kind of a continuum. You know, someone might be active for week one, but they might not be hundred percent until October, November. And we're going to talk about some of those players on the show today, which we'll get to. So that's one thing that I see a lot. The other thing is that you know a lot of these injury dates that people use you know he injured his knee in week eight so he should be ready for week one that sort of thing doesn't factor in the actual surgical date if it does require surgery so we're going to talk about again some of these players coming off acl injuries where their actual surgical date was a month to six weeks after when the injury occurred so you might ha- you know have the knowledge of like okay i know he tore his acl in week 17 he only has this number of weeks to go to get ready for week one well, we have to remind ourselves, let's tack on six more weeks because it doesn't start from the injury date. It starts from the surgical date. So those are two things that I see a lot in the off season that are really uh, important to understand. And 
the way you get that knowledge is <laughs> you follow these guys on social media. You follow a lot of the beat rep reporters that you trust and really try to dig for information because it can be tricky to find uh, for sure. The second part of that is in season. I see a lot of, I think mistake is a good word to use and just assuming that when a player is active, he is 100% good to go, ready to rock for that game. And sometimes that definitely is the case, but you'll see it oftentimes where a player is coming back, for example, off of a high ankle sprain or a hamstring strain. And, you know, they're pushing the timeline to play. Maybe it's a super important game for playoff implications. Maybe it's a short week and they're, they just want to get out there and play. Um, you know, the biggest example that comes to mind is the Keenan Allen one from a couple of years ago mm -hmm. where he yelled, don't <laughs> sit me, right? Like that sort of thing. People just assume because they're in the game that they are good to go. And sometimes that cannot be further from the truth. Yeah, those ones are always tough because, you know, obviously everyone's panicking and they're, they're, they're tweeting, you know, at us to try to find answers. And like I said, I mean, we, we're, we're a lot of us just flying blind on the injury stuff. And at least you guys, like, we can reach out to you and tag you guys in and say, hey, what are we looking at here? Uh, because, you know, we're flying blind with a lot of that. You kind of hit upon just the ACL stuff and the surgeries. And I, I don't remember an offseason where we had this many guys coming off of an ACL and I don't, I can't statistically back that up. Maybe it's just noteworthy because they're fantasy guys and not just, you know, outright a bunch of guys that aren't necessarily on the fantasy radar, but it does feel like this is the off season of the ACL injury. And it kind of seems like people are no longer really treating the ACL injury as like a major serious injury. It's almost like a more commonplace. These guys are going to just be back. It's, you know, the surgery's gotten better. The recovery times are shorter. Um, is that one true? And, you know, kind of what are the ramifications still of, you know, an ACL tear and like short term and long term? Yeah, I think in general, you know, the answer to this question is like, it's a blessing and a curse that ACL recoveries have gotten so good. And, you know, we're so much better in the medical field, in terms of the surgical approach, in terms of the rehab and recovery, and returning to sports, like it's it's light years ahead of where it was 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. So in general, I think the community as a whole is correct in saying like, you know, the ACL that someone may have had in 2012 is not the same impact on a player's career as it is if they suffer one in 2022, so to speak. So I think in general, the answer to your question is yes, we're right on that. But it is a large, large continuum of how these injuries happen. You know, um, if there's a history of an injury to the player, if they have a previous ACL injury, if there was other ligaments damaged, such as your MCL, your, you know, your meniscus, your LCL, all these sort of things. It is such a convoluted conversation that if you are just assuming an ACL is the same as the next ACL, that is that is misinformation and probably incorrect. So it's, it's very nuanced. And hopefully today on the show, we can really hash out these guys that I feel more confident in versus less confident. Because like I said, there's 20 different factors that go into play from the injury perspective itself not even counting like long-term, you know, what is the player's draft capital? A player drafted in round one, they're going to have three or four chances to get right and get back on the field because that team invested so much in them. An undrafted free agent, like, yeah, you tear your ACL, you may not be the same. You know, unfortunately, they move on, those kind of things. So there is just so much that goes into it uh, when you talk about ACL recovery. Yeah, and you hit upon it. Like all these, just because it's an ACL injury, it still is, uh, you know, on a player pipe player basis like kind of the recovery when the surgery occurred and what we have for expectations so let's run through some of these guys here especially on the offensive side of the ball uh probably the most noteworthy guy right now in fantasy drafts is chris godwin who tore his acl uh late last season in that sunday night game against the against the saints 
And I believe he had his surgery right in the new year. So, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. I believe it was like one, three, one, four in that area. Uh, what are we looking at for Chris Godwin in terms of a timetable for one, when he could come back uh, after post-surgery and when do you expect him to kind of be like a guy that is up to like being a hundred percent? Rich, I'm very proud of you. That is very correct. January 3rd is the All surgical right. date for Chris Godwin. So you're <laughs> locked in. That's good. Um, so yeah, the week 15 injury. And then of course the surgery a few weeks later, um, Chris Godwin's a tough guy to peg down because we know how good he can be and how good he has been when he's been on the field. But the reality is I definitely expect him to miss games. It's just too early right now to say how many he'll actually miss. So this year, the league changed the rules on the PUP list to be from mm -hmm. six to four games. So I think there's a very good chance he starts out on the PUP list, which if that happens, he, he would miss basically all of September. And then you're looking at when he comes back, what is he going to provide you in the first couple of games that he's back on the field. There's a lot of unknowns at that point, right? Because we have to factor in the ramp up time for training camp, the ramp up time early in the season, and then getting back on the field. So I think a realistic outlook for Chris Goblin is that November, December, he's going to be much more productive for us than he will be in September if he plays in October is my outlook here on Chris Goblin. Yeah, and his initial kind of outlook kind of sets up to be where if you're going to get a more nuanced league, if you obviously have injured reserve spots, he is coming off an injury, so you'll probably be able to use that kind of spot for him, unlike a guy like maybe DeAndre Hopkins or potentially, you know, Alvin Kamara. But, you know, it opens the door for a guy like Mike Evans, who we saw at the end of last season after they released Antonio Brown, and that was with Gronk on the field. You know, he's out here getting 10 and 16 targets against elite cornerbacks and Jalen Ramsey and Darius Slay. Uh, and that's why you've kind of seen this push for Mike Evans in fantasy circles. But uh, the Bucks in totality like could be an interesting offense to start the season just because of all the moving parts they've had this offseason. It's really down to Mike Evans, and like, we're hoping that Russell Gray, get Russell Gage can really kind of fill the shoes uh, of Chris Godwin to a degree. But this is a Bucks team that's going to be missing a lot of significant pass catchers. Uh, almost 40% of their touchdown receptions the past two years uh, expected to miss the start of the season. So definitely a team that is going to be interesting to watch at the beginning of the year. Uh, another wide receiver that signed a huge contract this offseason uh, and people were excited about him finally potentially getting like his runway to be more of a featured wide receiver in the offense is Michael Gallup. Now, I believe his surgery was much later than Chris Godwin's and he also did more than an ACL tear. So what are we looking at for Michael Gallup here? Yeah, for Gallup, you're, you're spot on. The injury was later. It was week 17 instead of 15 as it was with Godwin. His surgery didn't happen until February 10th. So we're looking at a completely different conversation. If we think Godwin is going to be closer to 100%, you know, the back half of the season, then we absolutely should be thinking the same thing for Michael Gallup, if not later. And so, yeah, they gave him the big contract. Obviously, they feel pretty confident in his long-term health. But I think when you're talking about fantasy for 2022, Gallup is not looking good or, or a guy that I want to target unless you have a deep, deep bench and you can stash him on IR, like you said, for a long period of time. It was wild where he was going on underdog in the last, you know, month or two, like still being drafted kind of in that like 11, 12th range, mm -hmm. 12th round range. I just how many games are you going to get from from Michael Gallup with this news? And like you said, you know, he did have the multi-ligament uh, association. So there's rumors or, or kind of, I guess, speculation. I don't know that there was ever official reports, but generally what you see is when these guys have delayed surgeries is they often have an MCL injury. So the ligament that runs down the inside of the knee that will heal pretty well most cases on its own without surgery. But the outcomes after the ACL uh, surgery are much better 
if you wait for the swelling to go down to get your range of motion back and to let that ligament heal first. So that's why you're seeing the delayed uh, surgery there for Gallup. But yeah, that February timeline certainly makes him very iffy for the early part of the year. Yeah, he's a guy that I've just perpetually kind of moved down over the course of this offseason just based on everything and, and everything not really sounding really rosy uh, in terms of recovery. Uh, that's, the Cowboys are another team, very interesting. You're talking about the, all the pieces that they've had moving. You know, you lose Amari Cooper uh, via trade and you lose Cedric Wilson via free agency. And that really – and you tack on Michael Gallup's potential absence. And, like, we're really counting on a – you know, mid-round rookie in jail and Tolbert to, to really kind of stretch out and get his legs going early in the season. A guy like James Washington who has really not hit so far, have an extended role. And it really kind of highlights the necessity for Dalton Schultz this year. But now also defenses know Dalton Schultz is a thing now. And they don't have to account for Amari Amar Cooper, Michael Gallup, and Cedric Wilson on the field with Dalton Schultz as well. So I'm really curious to see how Dalton Schultz plays from a talent perspective now that defenses are going to be keying in on him in this offense uh one of the guys that you mentioned are, are one of the guys that has more than an acl looks like but originally i thought maybe it was just an acl but appears that now he had lcl surgery too is jk dobbins and jk dobbins posted a video of him basically running his trainer over like a month ago and you know everyone was excited he looks back because he was a guy who tore his acl in the preseason of last year but now the kind of the word on him has been a little more cautious and trepidatious from Baltimore. What do we know about JK Dobbins right now? Yeah. What's funny about that video is that people assumed it was recent. It was from like a year ago. Oh, was <laughs> so it? JK, JK's <laughs> playing tricks on everyone with that. And if he looked that good right now, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. You know, I'm in, uh, but unfortunately that was, that was not the case. So yeah, with JK Dobbins, you know, like you said, it was the preseason injury, and as you'll see oftentimes with these contact injuries, as his was, I remember, you know, caught the ball out of the backfield, plants on the left leg, and then the defender hits him in the knee. Those contact injuries generally tend to lead to more of these multi-ligament situations, which is exactly what we're going with here with J.K. Dobbins. So not only was it his ACL, but also his LCL, which is the ligament on the outside of the knee. The tricky thing with that, unlike the MCL that we just talked about uh, with Michael Gallup, is that this ligament does not heal well on its own, so it does require surgery. When you have to repair that LCL, in addition to the ACL, it just makes the uh, you know the recovery a lot more cumbersome. It's a lot slower. You have to be more conservative. You can't start doing the things you normally would do after an ACL surgery, like running, cutting, jumping, as quickly. And so, time is a major factor here. You know, we usually use for straightforward ACLs like nine to twelve months is kind of what we're looking for. When you add in this LCL component to it. You have to tackle on a couple of months on top of that to really get back to 100%. Doesn't mean he won't play, but just talking about returning to performance levels, it's going to be much later than it would be for a traditional ACL. So right now, you know, with the news of, of Dobbins not doing much of anything in minicamp, I think I saw a report on The Athletic that all he was doing was really catching balls from the jugs machine. You would at least like to see him running, maybe running at less than full speed or something like that. So who knows where he's at in his recovery, but... He's another guy that I just think is, is likely to land on Pup. And really, you're not going to get, I think, what you hope for with J.K. Dobbins until the back half of the year, if at all. If we remember what happened with Carson Wentz a couple of years ago, back when he was actually potentially good at football, who knows what's happening now, back when he was with my Eagles, he had that LCL injury. And for a very long time, it was very uh, concerning that he may not get back to 100% in the same season. So you're talking about now a running back with the same situation. J.K. Dobbins is a guy... I have significantly bumped down in my rankings. 
And he's a guy that really even off of this, and maybe it's just out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people, he really hasn't moved. He's still going, you know, the last week as a top 60 pick. He's still going ahead of guys like Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, Antonio Gibson, A.J. Dillon, Miles Sanders, guys who at least we know are healthy right now at this time, which is very interesting. But like you said, maybe it's a back half year thing. Maybe it's a best ball thing that's still kind of propping that up right now. Or maybe like it's maybe people just aren't educated. Like I clearly wasn't on that video. Uh, but yeah, J.K. Dobbins is a guy that – I think a lot of people are just expecting to be back and it kind of seems like it may be a little bit of a slower recovery than people are expecting. And it sounds like something similar for his teammate, Gus Edwards, who I believe tore his ACL week after Dobbins. I don't know when his surgery was in comparison to Dobbins, but is Edwards looking at a more of a more optimistic return uh, because it was just an ACL or is he someone still we kind of are, are putting a pause on as well? Yeah, the Ravens have been pretty quiet with a lot of the details they're willing to give us on what these guys are doing or where they're at in the recovery. So um, I mentioned with Dobbins, you know, read the report that he was really just kind of catching balls out of the jugs machine, not doing much. Edwards didn't do much of anything either in minicamp, which, again, when you're talking about these guys and the recoveries, to my knowledge, I haven't seen any details that Gus Edwards had anything other than just his ACL which you would expect, again, this far out from his surgery and injury, that he'd be doing more in minicamp. So I definitely have a yellow flag on Gus Edwards this next month or so when training camps open for both these backs is going to be massive for how we look at them early in the season. So for now, I'm kind of hitting the pause button on Gus Edwards, the Gus bus. We'll see what they do. But what's so tricky about this situation um, you know, the guys were just talking about it, you know, with the ballers, like they didn't do that much to address the running back position. Mm-hmm. And when you have these two who are projected to be your top two carriers of the ball behind Lamar Jackson, like you would expect them to bring in more beyond Mike Davis and Tyler Beatty late in the draft. So it's really interesting to see what happens here. Maybe these guys are more healthy than we're being you know, led on, but I think training camp for both these backs is going to be massive. And the other thing in conjunction with just adding, you know, Tyler Beatty with a six round pick and then adding, you know, Mike Davis after the, you know, he was released after the draft is they kind of structured their entire offseason on kind of going back to that Greg Roman bully ball. I mean, you trade Marquise Brown. And now we have, we did see Lamar win MVP basically when Willie Sneed was his wide receiver too. So, I mean, I don't want to completely rag on the way their wide receiver room looks right now uh, because that, that did happen, but they draft multiple tight ends in the draft. Again, they add Tyler Linderbaum. It feels like they want to go back to this like approach that they were at two years ago and maybe not be as pass heavy because people forget they were pass heavy even before all the injuries happened in Ravens context. That is, and it feels like they want to go back, but like you said, they just didn't really, address this from like a talent perspective uh, when they had guys like, you know, a Melvin Gordon out there, right? Like a, a veteran like that, that maybe they could have pursued or a higher draft capital player. Uh, just very interesting to see how this has played out. Um, maybe this is, it, maybe this is kind of blindsiding them a little bit, or maybe they're just not letting us have the full information, like you said, but definitely something to watch through training camp as it kicks off both of those Ravens guys and where they are. Uh, and see if we can pry any information out of those uh, those Baltimore beef guys. Um, another player, like I said, this has been the year of the offseason. We are going to talk about some players that didn't tear the ACL too, I promise. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it, it has just been – it really feels like one of those years. And another one of those guys we had that was a, a trade uh, was Robert Woods. The Titans trade a sixth-round pick for Robert Woods. Now, now, Big Bob here is 30 years old now. I don't know if that really makes a little bit of a difference if you worry about – 
these younger players that we talked about today or an older player like Robert Woods. He doesn't have like a, a real lengthy injury history at all in the NFL either. But another late season ACL, he tore it during practice. Uh, you know, I want I want to say it was in December, maybe late November. Um, but what are we looking at for Robert Woods here in his tr- transition, not only going from one of the best passing offenses in the NFL to one that was just eh, last year? Uh, and, you know, just from a health perspective. Yes, it was the late November for Woods. Um, and the age does matter, you know, just in general, tissue will heal faster when you are younger. Now, of course, we're talking about 30 versus like 23. So it's not that yes. big of a difference, <laughs> but it does matter. And actually the, the data will show that, you know, players that are older that have these injuries um, generally don't perform as well off the surgery. So can Woods be an outlier? Of course, any player could. But if you're betting on data and betting on, you know, his trajectory of not only being um, 30 coming off of the ACL injury later in the season, but now switching teams, which we know historically isn't great for the wide receiver position. Um, it's tough to see a path for Robert Woods to be what he was, you know, in LA where he was always a steal in fantasy drafts and now going to a low volume passing offense um, with Ryan Tannehill as your quarterback. It's, it's tough to get excited in fantasy when you add in the injury to speak to where he's at though. You know, there was a couple of videos from OTAs and minicamp of Woods out there looking pretty good for where he's at in his recovery. I would say it doesn't really move the needle much for me. I think he's kind of on track for where he should be. Um, People, of course, see the videos and they always get so excited, but it's important to kind of break down context. He wasn't really planting super hard off the left knee, which is the the injured knee, was doing a lot of his cuts off the right. So I would say he's on track for where he's at. You know, I think he'll be ramping up his activity more as, as training camp gets here. But yeah, for the reasons that we kind of talked about, like, I don't know about you. I, I'm just not excited about Robert Woods at this point uh, for fantasy. Yeah, it's a bummer because, like you said, he's been one of those guys that's been perpetually good to the fantasy community. Uh, always a value. Uh, oh, yeah. Not not just impacting NFL players, but now current NFL players. We had a pair of the Alabama rookie wide receivers also coming off of knee injuries. Uh, Jamison Williams and John Mechie, uh, both kind of weeks apart here. Uh, obviously we had the supreme draft capital of Jamison Williams. And then we also had kind of an initial report. I think that was, uh, that was from his own mouth that he was ahead of schedule, but that also doesn't mean touch on that too, a little bit these, from what the, the players speak is on these recoveries and how much we should kind of take that with a grain of salt or not. And what are we looking at for these two rookie wide receivers as a, in context of when we're going to see them back on the field? or on the field for the first time it's that's the best part of the offseason you know everyone's in the best shape of their life everyone's ahead of schedule and i always whenever we like post updates and slack about it i just reply imagine not being ahead of schedule or imagine not being in the best shape of your life this time of year because you hear it every single time with these players and the reality is it doesn't mean much and it's probably false narrative to be honest with you um oftentimes these guys actually their agents will get like their surgeons to provide a positive report to teams to show them like hey they should be good to go at this time and it's it's such a long projection so it's really tough to get excited about players that say they're ahead of a uh, acl recovery schedule because everyone is so i don't read a lot into that but to speak to those these two guys specifically you know both like you said the alabama guys jameson williams getting that awesome draft capital um, is exciting for his outlook long term but i think for 2022 the lions seem to have already hinted at this like they're obviously investing a lot. They traded up to go get him. Um, they value him highly, and they're not going to rush him back, even though, by all accounts, he is doing pretty well in his recovery. I do think he contributes to the team at some point in the year. But when you talk about not only 
the recovery and we, we talked about late season ACLs being more productive than early season. We also know that's generally true for rookies not named Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, that that also happens. So I think when you're looking at this from a fantasy outlook, you know, he's going decently high in best ball. I think on underdog, he's like in the 120s overall. I'm not sure what we're going to get in September, October from this this type of player. And then you throw in the fact that he's a rookie. Um, it's kind of a fade for me at that ADP. And then to speak to Mechie too, his was a little bit earlier compared to Williams. So I think when you're kind of looking at these two players, like who's more likely to produce earlier in their NFL career, probably Mechie from an injury perspective. You know, that said, it's the Houston Texans. So who knows what's going to happen there. But yeah, I think when you're looking at those two guys, that's kind of the story. Now with your background, when you talk about these two types of players, does the player archetype matter at all? Like when you look at Mechie, a player that kind of profiles to be more of like a slot receiver in the NFL versus Jamison Williams, a guy who, lived in college you know as being one of the biggest deep threats uh you know in college football last last year does that kind of alter anything at all for you do you does that like be like all right well mechie's not going to be asked to be like kind of that lid lifter does he have kind of more of a runway or does it just kind of you look top down at this and say yeah that him being a rookie it's still coming off this injury i'm still going to be hands off yeah it is actually pretty interesting to talk about that aspect of it you know to kind of think more nuanced about how these guys win and of course, we're making it super simplified. But when you're looking at these two guys, Williams being just insanely fast and winning down the field incredibly last year, if there's anything that he can contribute this year that doesn't really you know, hamper him from the ACL aspect of it, it's more of that straight line speed. Whereas like you're talking about with the ACL, the last thing that people get back and usually the last people get back with confidence is quick, sharp cutting movements where if you're playing in the slot, you need to be able to do that much more efficiently than if you're running, let's say, a go route or a post um, like Jamison Williams might be doing. So, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting to think about those two guys in that aspect that, yeah, Mechie is going to be probably, if he, if he plays the slot, uh, the slot, running routes that are more, I guess, strenuous on your ACL. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's an underrated aspect of this stuff that I always find interesting, too, when these guys come off of injury like in season. Like, let's say, for example, if they have a, a right ankle sprain, you might see that player line up on the left side of the field more often than the right so that when they're running their slant routes or or in routes they're planning off their left ankle instead of their right so i'm, I'm a nerd with this stuff so i love it but it is, it is a great point that you bring up now yeah i was just curious something that i was thinking about just the archetype of those guys god's gift to instagram Jameis winston is also <laughs> coming back you know from an acl injury uh and you first of all i, I would love the with your background to know the take on all these workouts that because I, I mean he what a what is the a genuine gem Jameis winston is uh of a human being uh and because <laughs> I mean, he has a catalog of these workouts of him dodging you know basically punching bags uh you know on the 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 the, the the balance ball, the whatever the world's largest shake weight, whatever that was he was using <laughs> this week. I'd love to get that take. And then kind of what we're looking at for Jameis, uh, especially because Jameis, you know, a guy who used his legs a lot last year, a lot more than people I think accounted for from over his career. He ran for almost 24 yards per game while healthy. I believe he actually even he tore his ACL on a scramble as well. Uh, so what are we looking at for Jameis? And because does he play quarterback, maybe does he have more of a runway than some of these skill players we talked about? Yeah, let's start with the fun the fun conversation with Jameis, which is the, the Instagram workouts. I mean, listeners, if you're looking for a laugh, do yourself a favor. And if you haven't seen these yet, please do. They are absolute gold. And there's some of them that I think have value. And some of them I just I don't understand, to be honest with you. You know, we often in these uh, workouts in, in kind of my world of, of PT, 
you want to try to replicate the player's demands of their sport. So, you know, for a quarterback, you need to be able to shuffle in and out of the pocket, move your feet quickly, that sort of stuff. Those sort of workouts make a ton of sense. But the one you're referencing where he's laying on his back and, and doing the bench press with this shake weight looking thing, which truthfully I've never seen in my life. Um, I can't speak to any validity to that sort of thing. So I don't know where these are coming from, but I would love to talk to whoever is designing these workouts because they are absolute gold and sure to make you laugh. So yeah, there's some fun ones out there uh, with Jameis. But yeah, when you look at his recovery, he did have the ACL and MCL. That said, it was relatively early in the season. And as you mentioned, you know, he plays quarterback. So when you're looking at you know, if you just blindly bet on players that are going to perform better off this injury, if you pick a running back or a wide receiver, compare it to a quarterback, you're going to bet on the quarterback nine times out of 10 to outperform the the other player. And that's the exact same case here with Jameis Winston. I think there's very little concern that he will be ready for week one. He should be good to go. And, you know, he may not run as much as like you said last year, but similar to the conversation a lot of us had with Joe Burrow last year is like, you know, there's no concerns. He's going to play week one. But at LSU, the dude ran a ton, and he was super mobile. We saw that down the stretch a little bit with the Bengals last year. I'm not sure we're going to get that style of play from Jameis, kind of more of your traditional pocket passer. Yeah, and we've seen them forfeit a future comp pick to sign Andy Dalton before even that deadline. So that was pretty peculiar, too. That's a kind of got like, it's like, oh, why are they signing him right now? But uh, yeah, definitely insurance with Taysom moving to full-time tight end. We'll see how many passes Taysom actually grows this year or not. But uh, last set of ACL guys to kind of touch on. And ironically, both of these guys tied for being the tight end three overall in 2020. They were late career breakouts. Uh, Big Bob Tunyon and Logan Thomas. These are also two guys. They're not getting drafted super highly. It's baked into their ADP. But what are we kind of looking at for these two guys? And uh, are these two guys that you would say like, yeah, in the dredges of the tight end world, they offer some upside like they did two years ago? Or are these guys you kind of just have no interest in? Yeah, I think Robert Tunyon, like we know that he has the outlier touchdown season in his range of outcomes just because Devonta Adams, you know, he did so much for them around the goal mm-hmm. line is gone. And, you know, I think if you're looking for a guy that might get you like 30 yards a game and not be that great, but when he scores touchdowns, finishes as like the tight end 11 on the week, Robert Tunyon can be that when he's back and healthy. And so when you look at these two players, if I'm taking a shot late on one of these guys, it is Robert Tunyon because of the fact that Logan Thomas had a pretty serious injury. His was not only the ACL, he also had the MCL, but actually damaged to both his medial and lateral meniscus. So you have two of those in your knee. When you have those structures injured, they are super important for stability of the knee as well as you know shock absorption, so the ability to protect your cartilage. This is a veteran player. This injury itself could really shorten the length of the rest of his career, and not just even looking at this year specifically, but, at, but long-term for Logan Thomas. It's not great for a guy who turns 31 this mm-hmm. month. So yeah, for me, Logan Thomas off my board. Robert Tunyon, he might miss a couple games throughout the year, but I think when he comes back, you know he has Rodgers' trust and you know he has that goal line capability, whereas Logan Thomas, you can't really say that. Uh, I lied. There's one more guy I just want to get your take on with the it relates to an ACL, and it's a guy a lot of people are throwing these late-round best ball darts on because of the acquisition of Russell Wilson, and that is kind of, is K.J. Hamler, a dude that can just flat-out fly, you know, coming out of Penn State. But he had a hip injury and an ACL injury. What are we looking at with K.J. Hamler? Yes, this is really puzzling to me why the fantasy community is so on KJ Hamler from an injury perspective. I get, you know, the excitement of like the deep ball with Russ. He's been so good at it in his career. 
Hamler's got speed, but this injury is, is serious. We talked about the ACL plus the LCL concerns with J.K. Dobbins. Hamler has a similar injury himself, but then you mentioned it's not just the knee, it's also the hip. And so when you throw those two things in together, I am shocked that he's going where he's going in drafts. I know it's not super high, but right. I think last time I looked, it was like round 14, round 15 in best ball. I have taken zero shares of K.J. Hamler personally. I just don't see it. And when you're looking at, you know, not only that aspect of it, but competing with the guys that he's competing with for targets, Mm -hmm. it's just tough to see it for KJ Hamler for me. So I haven't taken much of him at all this year. Nice. Yeah, he's a guy that's been getting a lot of steam. I mean, that was a lot of ACLs. We didn't even touch on defensive players like Tredavious White, Marcus Peters, Chase Young, or, you know, an impact offensive lineman like Eldon Jenkins. Uh, One player that did not have an ACL injury, but did miss all of last season with the knee injury that gamers are still excited about. And he's, his ADP has really started to climb to an interesting area as well uh, because the team is getting a lot of steam now with Kevin O'Connell jumping on. That's Irv Smith. Uh, can you kind of just touch on the difference of injuries of not having an ACL but missing a season with the meniscus, what that means? And, uh, you know, are you expecting Irv to be like 100% right now in that start of the season? Yes. Yeah, so for Big Irv, it was the meniscus like you said, and what we're looking at with this recovery is that this tissue itself doesn't have very good blood supply to it. And so depending on where the injury happens, you can happen on like the peripheral. The meniscus is basically like a little circle. Um, It can happen on the periphery. It can happen on the inside. Those different areas have different zones of where the blood supply is good and where it is not good. So unfortunately, we don't have that information at our disposal, but it does add some volatility to the recovery. There uh, was a report that his recovery was taking a little longer than maybe was expected. Not to say that he won't be ready for week one. I absolutely think he will. But that just kind of clues me in that like maybe it was in that zone where that blood supply isn't quite as good. And that carries just a slightly re-injury risk to it. Whereas if it was in a different part, maybe it wouldn't have. But when you're looking at those recoveries, um, typically it's anywhere from six to nine months. Whereas, you know, your ACL, you're looking at nine to 12 months to get back on the field. And so, yeah, I think Big Herb is going to be ready to go for week one. I think he'll be probably eased in a little bit in training camp, but I have zero concerns that he'll be out there week one. Yeah, Big Irv, uh, the last seven days, has climbed up to tight end 12 in ADP. So definitely gamers are, are optimistic on the well, the Vikings in general. have been getting a lot of steam. So, I mean, Big Irv is, is getting up there. Doesn't turn He just turns 24 years old uh, this, uh, this August, uh, which is pretty wild for going to be a four-year player in the NFL. Uh, super right. young and on a contract year too from a rookie year contract. Um, a, a player that we really didn't know anything about the last two years and are now starting to get out like another guy that is maybe it's just the Saints thing, like weird workout videos, right? And I don't know anything about this stuff, but I seeing these videos that Michael Thomas is posting and like he's just like out in his backyard, like running like me and my son throw routes, uh, you know, <laughs> um, very peculiar. Uh, what do we actually know what the hell is going on with Michael Thomas right now? And with, uh, you know, training camp being three weeks out, you know, we're what, 70 days plus from week one. Uh, what kind of space are we at with Michael? I mean, he's fell, fallen off the board. He's down like the wide receiver 40 now. Um, what the hell is going on with Michael Thomas? Yeah, there was a time where you could have told me, like, I believe he's going to finish as the wide receiver 12 this year. And I've been like, you know what? That's probably realistic, maybe. And then someone else can tell you, like, he's going to finish as the wide receiver 48. And I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense because he was in that no man's land. But now that we're getting more information from some of this stuff, I'm starting to get more and more pessimistic about Michael Thomas and really his ability to return to what he was. I mean, we can just throw the injury stuff to the side for a minute. Like, obviously, 
Drew Brees is not there. He hasn't played football in all, almost a year and a half now at this point since the injury. Like, it's just a different situation. No more Sean Payton. So now you throw in the injury stuff and you're looking at, you know, recovery off of surgery to address two major ligaments in the ankle. The one that sits in between your lower leg bones for those high ankle sprains. And then as well, one that sits on the inside of the ankle to kind of provide that lateral stability. Those two together, I mean, that's a pretty cumbersome recovery. And oftentimes when you have these really delayed surgical approaches and this super long recovery, I mean, week one of 2020 is when he had the injury itself. That is a very long time ago. Whenever mm -hmm. you have those things happen, there is a chance for some cartilage damage inside the joint of the ankle. And I'm not making this comparison. I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen. But we remember AJ Green had a very similar recovery a few years ago and really never returned to form of what AJ Green used to be. And so I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying, like, for me, Michael Thomas, it's if he outperforms ADP this year, let's just say I'll be very surprised. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, his stock has just kind of plummeted. And, you know, he's one of those guys, like, you always you think of the, the talent, and he was a guy that won people fantasy leagues, and you kind of latch on to that ceiling aspect when one of these guys start to fall, and can they get it back? But that bringing up the A.J. Green point is really kind of – because we did the same thing with him, and, you know, he was a much older player than where Thomas is now, but we still kind of said, is A.J. Green a value in the fifth? Is he a value in the sixth, right? <laughs> and, you know – uh, he wasn't. <laughs> it turned out he wasn't. Spoiler. wasn't at all. Because, um, yeah, Thomas is a guy I started out optimistic on and then slowly started to move down just because the news comes out. Um, yeah, hopefully we see him actually run some actual routes and pads and see some things that, like like you said, that last video he posted was super weird. Um, and real quick, too, Rich, before we move on, that video itself, you know, you can see when he's planning off one leg versus the other, it's very different. And so, you know, it's early July. Obviously, there's time before week one. But you're going to tell yourself this story where training mm -hmm. camp gets here. He's not 100%. So you're factoring in maybe limited reps or trying to work up to full workload. And whenever you have these uh, these surgeries specifically, they're kind of notable for like, you know, you're good to go. You push it a little bit. And then all of a sudden your ankle says, wait, hold on. Let's back off a little bit. So I would not be surprised one to two, three weeks into training camp. All of a sudden, Michael Thomas is doing less than he was initially uh, is a possibility. So, yeah, Michael Thomas for me, it's, it's tough this year. No, that's a great point because, you know, a lot of people just see these videos, especially from a guy like Michael Thomas, who is, we've been like the, in the dark with, right, for like the last two years. Uh, and just you get excited because you see him actually running, right? And you say, well, how far away can, could he be? And you're, you know, you're, you're highlighting like, yeah, no, this is still what's wrong with this video. And I think that's where, I, like, why I always fell into like the injury agnostic like camp, right? Is because it's like, I don't know what I'm looking at when I'm watching these videos, right? You know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's nice to, to say like, no, no, no. Like, this is what's really going on here. Um, a player that has played a little bit more than Michael Thomas, not a lot more than Michael Thomas, uh, the last two years is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he's missed 23 games the past three, two years. Uh, we know when he's on the field, he's basically been Marshall Falk-esque for fantasy. Um, but if you tweet anything about Christian McCaffrey, like even remotely positive, like you get a bunch of people saying like, good luck with that this year. Or, like you're a fool. Everyone's still full taking him as highly as he goes. Uh, are you concerned at all about Christian McCaffrey or are these kind of been just like more, uh, you know, kind of sporadic injuries? What, what are we doing with Christian McCaffrey? From an injury perspective. Yeah, <laughs> I, di I did tweet something positive about Christian McCaffrey the other day. And you're right. The, the mentions aren't great. You know, they're, they're the injury prone thing. They're the I'm not doing that again this year. Like, no yeah. way. So, yeah, people have been burned for sure. But in general, his ADP hasn't changed. I mean, he's still a top mm -hmm. two pick 
in almost every draft that I do or, or top three, I guess, if Cooper Cup goes there in the top two. So, yeah, people are still on him, I guess, in some degree. And really what you have to ask yourself is, are you comfortable embracing a little bit of risk in round one for the upside that you're getting? And I think we should all be answering that question with absolutely yes, because we know what Christian McCaffrey can do when he's on the field. And when I look at his profile, you know, certainly you wish he wouldn't have had the injuries that he did. You're talking about hamstring injuries. He had the AC joint injury in his shoulder, the high ankle sprain, those sort of things. And, you know, people always ask me, like, is injury prone a thing? And that's the most difficult question to answer because I always say that you're more prone to specific injuries if you had them in the past. History has a way of, of repeating itself. So players that have a history of multiple hamstring injuries are more likely to get another one than someone who hasn't. You know, everyone talks about that with Will Fuller over the last three or four years. So is Christian McCaffrey more likely to get injured this year than he was last year? Probably, right? Probably just because of what he's had. But when I look at his pattern of injuries, like you're talking the ankle, you're talking the hamstring, you're talking about a shoulder, like there's just no real correlation with those. So to me, it's more fluky than anything. And so, yeah, if people are, are out on Chris McCaffrey, I'm very happy to be back in um, on him. And I think, too, people often point to how many games he missed over the last two years as a stat, right? And I kind of hate that because if these injuries happen in week 15, you're talking about fewer games missed than if they happen in week two sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm still on Christian McCaffrey. I'm definitely comfortable embracing a little bit of risk just because, like you said, we know what he can be when he's on the field. Yeah, and outside of, you know, adding potentially a quarterback upgrade that we talked about today, I mean, this is a team that's revamped kind of their offensive line this offseason too, adding Bradley Bozeman and Austin Corbett to Tyler Moton and getting, you know, Iki Inua, you know, in the first round. Uh, totally botched that that name right there. Uh, but, yeah, one of these <laughs> – this is – but the fact that they've added this, you know, amount of talent offense, yeah, I, I kind of low-key like what the Panthers have done this offseason. It's a team that for the first month of last year is playing really well, so maybe they could be sneaky. Uh, but we'll see, you know, how that plays out with the quarterback situation. A player also, if you tweet anything positive about at this juncture, expect to be filled with hate. But the fantasy industry has pushed him up. He started out in the third round. Now he's regularly in the second round. And that's Saquon Barkley, a guy that also the last two years hasn't paid off with investment. And that's what you see is a lot of this in fantasy football is, nah, this guy cost me money, or I feel like this player cost me money. I'm not going back to that well. And we need to stay agnostic to those situations uh, and treat them you know, on a year-to-year -year basis. Can we trust Saquon Barkley again? I hope so. I mean, what a fun player, right? Like just <laughs> – the talent, the explosiveness, all those sort of things. So my answer is I hope so. And, and my true answer for this is I do think we can. And the reason that I say that is not because I'm a Penn State fan, which I am, but because when you're looking at relative to last year, Saquon Barkley's borderline round one ADP to me was the most egregious thing I've seen from a player coming off of injury in a very long time. You talked about, you know, at the top of the show about knowing when players had their injury versus when they had their surgery last year. Saquon didn't have his surgery until October 30th. So for him to really have a chance to get back to 100% in week one was very, very small with that recovery because he also had that meniscus issue. So, you know, people taking him at the end of round one, hoping to get Saquon Barkley in week one of last year. I mean, it couldn't have been further from the truth. But as we saw as the year went by, each week he did a little bit more, a little bit more, mm -hmm. started to look more effective. He started to get going. And then had like the flukiest injury I've ever seen, stepping on a player's foot and rolling his ankle, as you see in basketball all the time. That sort of thing. If people are counting that against Saquon Barkley, that's just unfair, in my opinion. So I think when you're looking at 
you know, the recovery from the ACL last year compared to this year, we know data across the board supports that year two is much more productive. And it makes a lot of sense because if you're a player, you know, you're spending your off season rehabbing. You're not really training for the season. You're rehabbing to get ready this year. Saquon Barkley is healthy. He is not rehabbing. He is focusing on performing and not just getting on the field. So I'm pretty bullish on Saquon this year, especially based off opportunity costs. You know, last year, like I said, going at the one, two turn this year, consistently going in the third round. If he sticks around there, he's going to definitely be a target for me in drafts. Yeah, another team did major additions, you know, to the offensive line this season. This is what Joe Schoen did in Buffalo, signing a lot of those, you know, veteran kind of like patchwork guys. They, they also use another high pick on Evan Neal. Um, then you look at the fact that the Giants really still didn't bring in anybody. I mean, the backup that they brought in was Matt Breida, who three straight coaching staffs have decided they want to do everything at all costs not to play Matt Breida. Uh, you know, definitely points that at least he's going to be a full-time player. And he only, again, only 25 years old, Saquon. I feel like people think like maybe he's a little bit older. One of these guys that came in as a 21-year-old rookie. Uh, the upside is definitely there. The other thing that happened with him last year, not just the high ankle sprain, which you wrote an article on the impact of high ankle sprains uh, over at fantasyfootballers.com, uh, is that the offense that he came back to later in the season after he came back from the angle sprain was just a nightmare. As bad as Daniel Jones is a real quarterback, they averaged almost two fewer yards per play with Daniel Jones off the field, 3.6 yards per play with the, you know, the, the mighty kind of like head of Jake Fromm and, and Mike Glennon. Uh, just, and then all the receivers were kind of banged up at that point. It was just a disaster. Gosh, the Giants were so bad offensively last year that no one could have survived in that offensive line either. So, yeah, Saquon's definitely one of those guys. I, I keep looking at, you know, when you want to start these drafts potentially with a wide receiver early, uh, you know, especially with guys like Saquon there in round two and, you know, Leonard Fournette, like some of these other guys, it's like, man, you can really start with like an apex wide receiver and still potentially come away with like two workhorse running backs, which used to never be the case in fantasy football. You know, if you were drafting at that point, you would have to take like a running back with one of those kind of, or be pressured to take a, one of those workhorse running backs due to the positional leverage they provide. And that's not really the case in drafts this year uh, because of guys like Saquon at that point. Another running back that's really gotten pushed up uh, in recent weeks due to the, the the videos and positive reinforcement is Travis Etienne. Uh, you know, coming off of the Liz Frank injury, um, what do we know about the the, the Liz Frank? I, this is another injury, like, from when I would hear Liz Frank, I would be like, ooh, this is a boogeyman injury. Uh, so kind of break down Travis Etienne, what he's coming back from. Yeah, it is one of those injuries that's definitely tough for sure. The tricky thing is that, again, it's Liz Frank injury is a general term to describe an injury to the joints in the middle of your foot. So that can include you know, a minor sprain, it can include a fracture, it can include a dislocation, it's a whole, you know, continuum. And sometimes people just label it as a Liz Frank injury. So without knowing the specific details of what it is, it can change how you look at that player. And so, yeah, I think for ETN, obviously, when his injury happened, I think is favorable for his outlook, happened pretty early, you know, in the calendar year in, in August last year. And so there are positive reports. And I think he does look pretty good for where he's at. I think his explosiveness is not where it should be. So, you know, again, it's July. We have some time. Um, but I think he's a player that when you're talking about these two backs, James Robinson and Travis Etienne, if there's one that I want to bet on with these two injuries and when they happened, no doubt it's Travis Etienne, especially based off how he looks. I will say, however, you know, research across the board when you look at this injury, generally the production is down uh, about on average about 21% the following year. 
what's super tricky about that for Travis Etienne is 21% of, of what, right? Like he didn't play his entire rookie year. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think in general, you, you, you know, take him down a little bit based off if he was fully healthy, but I will say he looks pretty good in his recovery. And I think he'll be good to go for week one. Yeah. He's climbed up to the three, four turn right around ADP pick 36 right now after he opened, you know, as basically a fifth, six round guy. So definitely getting some of that move. I've seen him go as high as the two, three turn in some drafts for people uh, as well. Uh, his teammate, you mentioned James Robinson. He had the late season Achilles injury, which used to be something that obviously everyone would run away from. But now that Cam Akers kind of made that, you know, recovery last season. I mean, are we expecting James Robinson to potentially be back, you know, not just in season, potentially 100 percent or, or are we going to see him sooner rather than later now? Yeah, the Cam Akers thing, I mean, it's just literally incredible and, and so awesome. But what's terrible about it at the same time is that now there's a new expectation, right? If you're not back on the field in six months or five months after you tear your Achilles, what are you doing, right? I mean, that's where we're at. And the tricky thing with all that is that Cam Akers is absolutely an outlier when you talk about that injury and that recovery. And I think we saw it down the stretch. I mean, I know he played against some pretty tough defenses in the playoffs and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing, but he clearly was not 100%, even though he was on the field. And this goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show. Just because he was out there doesn't mean he was close to 100%. And I think the same thing will be true for James Robinson whenever he does take the field at this point in the year. His happened uh, late in the year in December, like you said. So, yeah, I think if you're looking at will he be able to contribute at some point for the Jaguars? Probably. Will it be meaningful for fantasy? I would be uh, surprised if that was the case. And I certainly think if you're looking at his you know, September, October outlook and, and projection, um, it's hard to imagine him doing much for us. Yeah, Sterling Shepard, another guy with a late season Achilles. Uh, he, you know, he's coming off of the full offseason now, but what do you expect, uh, you know, for Cam Akers now, you know, heading into this season now, fully with like the entire offseason removed? Are we expecting him to be back to the same player? Because remember, this used to be an injury where it's like, all right, if this happens to a running back, like he'll never be the same again. And not only did he return, but we also saw a guy in Deontay Foreman last year kind of look like the best version of himself since college as well last year filling in for Derrick Henry. Uh, are we just going to have to treat this thing a little bit differently on a case-by-case basis? And uh, do we think Cam Akers is just going to be like back in to back the player he was before? Yeah, so just to provide some background kind of on the Achilles stuff, over the last, I would say, like three, four years, there's been a newer procedure coming out, which actually they used to have to do a longer incision. You know, they call it an open repair, which as it sounds like longer incision, it's more of a cumbersome surgery and recovery players will be put in a boot for a long period of time. And essentially the performance after that was just awful. And now they're transforming into this kind of, they call it a mini open repair. The incision is much smaller. You reinforce the tendon above and below where the injury is to make the recovery a lot faster and and make the Achilles stronger. And so I think in general, we might see a little bit of a lag in terms of the research of how these players do one, two, three, four years out from their recovery. So the data right now still looks awful for this injury, but I have a little optimism that, yeah, maybe in a couple of years, we're not looking at this injury quite the same way. Now, that said, it's still a super, you know, cumbersome recovery. And again, we saw that with Cam Akers. But I do think there is optimism in year two for Akers. And there was a study back in 2017 that looked specifically at this across multiple sports, football, basketball, soccer, and looked at how athletes did in year one versus year two if they were able to return in year one. And a lot of those players that were able to return in year one 
were much better in year two. And when you think about recovering from any injury, if listeners or, or viewers have had significant injury yourself, you know you feel better in the second year. So this makes a ton of sense in the world. And so, yeah, I think Cam Akers, based off how well the rehab went, we should feel decently optimistic that he is light years ahead of where he was you know, when he returned last year. Excellent. Uh, one player that kind of doesn't really get talked about at all as, as coming off of a significant surgery, and maybe it isn't a, a significant surgery, and, and it's just something I'm making out to be, but you know, it was a surgery, uh, and that's T. Higgins, who's going in the second round uh, of all these drafts. He had labrum surgery this offseason. Is this anything that we should be concerned about? Uh, is he going to be in training camp? Is he going to miss you know, an extension of the summer, and will he be ready to play in week one? Yeah, concern for T. Higgins is pretty minimal at this point. All I've seen is that it's gone very well. Um, when you have these labral repairs, basically it's just this tiny piece of cartilage kind of around the shoulder joint. helps provide more stability in the joint. So when you injure it, you're more likely to have dislocations. And you know, even when you do have the surgery in the future, he's more likely to have these dislocations and, and situations pop up. The poster boy for this right now is Dalvin Cook. You know, People are always concerned mm-hmm. about that shoulder and the harness. And basically, just the more subsequent injury you have to it, the more likely you are to dislocate again in the future. To my knowledge, though, for T. Higgins, this is the only time it's happened. I I could be incorrect on that. I'm just not sure. But we know for Dalvin, like he's had it, what, five, six, seven times back to high school. So his concern is much higher than it would be for someone like T. Higgins. So, you know, I know it's kind of long winded there, but to put it simply, I'm not concerned about T. Higgins in 2022. Yeah, Dalvin's always one of those guys that kind of I kind of always like forget about that because the situation always looks so good. And then I'm like, always every year he misses games at the shoulder injury. Uh, and then I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should just, you know, start to cook that in again. Cause, you know, it's starting to happen again, right? Like, oh, they're moving him outside. He's going to play a little more wide receiver. And this is one I actually do kind of stock because in that system, the running backs do split out wide a lot. And you look at the Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson last year, they ran 190 pass routes. Uh, combined from the slot and out wide and Dalvin Cook ran 35 last year uh, in the archaic Viking scheme but then it's also like yeah is he gonna miss two more games like do you want to take that in the top five pick uh, but the upside is so strong for him as well one guy that I didn't put on the show sheet that I did it, it that I just thought about during the course of the show and I want you to see either you can debunk this or kind of maybe add some things to it uh, and it's another guy that spins off of that hasn't played a full season in his career and it's James Conner uh, you know, obviously everyone sees the upside in James Conner and what he did on a per game basis with Chase Edmonds out. But with his history, you know, you know, beating cancer, I've heard some people say that that actually like hinders his like tissue repair and recovery from specific injuries. One, is that even true? Uh, and, and then and two, is that something that we should kind of, you know, if it is true, like should we account for it a little bit? Yeah, it's a it's a really tricky conversation for that sort of stuff, because. I think when you're talking more short term, you know, if you have that recovery from cancer and you and you you know you beat it, which is incredible, yeah, what you have to go through to do that does take a toll on your body and you know the cellular repair that happens, especially after an injury. So I think when you're talking more short term, that stuff really does matter. Now that we're looking years and years and years after the fact, maybe not quite as much, but you throw in that, you throw in obviously he does have a lengthy injury history. You combine the two, like there is some volatility for sure to James Conner. So I, I'm not saying that he's a guy that I'm concerned about from an injury perspective, but when you look at this, because he plays running back, because of his injury history, because of the cancer stuff, we should not be surprised if he has an injury this year and we say, oh yeah, that's James Conner because last year he played a full you know, full season and he was awesome and, and all those sort of things. So yeah, I'm not baking it in too much, but we should definitely not be surprised if it happens. 
Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about him last year, too, is as they had to lean on him out of necessity over the course of the season, he got banged up again at the end of last season. Uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, is this something that is that we have to kind of, you know, stick a pin in as always? So we ran through, I mean, close to 20 plus players that are on the fantasy radar and their injury kind of like outlook as it pretends in entering training camp. Is there any player that you have some injury concern for this season that we did talk about? Yeah, one that I'll just throw out real quick is James White. Um, you know, there's been a little bit, I think, of maybe not quite as much recently, but early in the offseason, some buzz like, hey, he's a nice, you know, 17th, 18th round best ball pick. It's tough to see for a guy who had an injury to his hip that was very similar to that of Ryan Fitzpatrick from last year. This could potentially be one that maybe he comes back from late in the year and plays a handful of games or maybe even doesn't even make the roster and play. I mean, in Mike Reese's most recent projection, he left him off the 53-man roster, which James White, if healthy, because of what he means to England, he'd be on that roster if he was healthy, right? Mm-hmm. So he's a guy that I just haven't taken anywhere. I'd be surprised if we get you know, production from a guy like that at this stage of his career with that injury. No, that's a great point. And that's why we've started to see a little bit of, of pumping up of Ramondre Stevenson here too, potentially, you know, maybe occupying that role with Brandon Bolden gone. Uh, I'm here you know, for it, man. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's <laughs> what I want to lead into too as well. I mean, obviously I wanted you to shed a lot of light on given your expertise and background uh, on these players and provide us all of the actual information, you know, instead of you know, me just saying, I don't know about this guy's injury. You know, he, it's, it, it sounds optimistic uh, and giving us some actual, uh, you know, stuff to glom onto here. But you also do actual fantasy football analysis, too. It's not just all injury based. And right now you have a series going on uh, on the website that is a best ball who to take a ch- stance on series. Uh, quarterback running up, running back is up. Wide receiver just came out today uh, on the site, which I checked out as well. So, I'll give you the floor here. Uh, make a case. Give me give me one guy that you really wanted to uh, take a stance on from, from each article, quarterback, running back, and wide receiver here, and lay out the fantasy case for these guys. Oh, this will be fun. I'm excited because there's <laughs> there's so many guys here. I was actually looking at like my exposure levels, and a lot of it does line up with what I'm writing about, so I'm excited about that. And I think we start with quarterbacks. Like To me, you're looking at opportunity cost and what the upside is. I'm all the way in on Lamar Jackson this year based off the fact that we talked about those running back injuries. Like, is there a chance Lamar sets a career high in rushing attempts this year? We've seen him have such success with running the football, not only on designed rushing attempts, and we know this offense, like you said, might be wanting to go back to what they were like 2019. I mean, Lamar Jackson could finish as the quarterback one and no one would be surprised about it. And so when you're looking at opportunity costs, like taking Josh Allen, sometimes in the second round of the drafts that I'm in versus Lamar Jackson three, four rounds later, Give me a Lamar Jackson all day in terms of what he provides for you. So I would say quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, I'm, I'm very bullish on this year. Oh, listen, you're always going to get me to support Lamar Jackson. I love it. I love <laughs> it. And then for running back, uh, the guy that I've talked about so much has been Aaron Jones. And, you know, when these vacated target situations happen, people often just immediately look at the wide receiver depth chart and say, who's the guy this year? Who's going to be the one to step up? And I got to shout out, you know, my co-host, Kyle, he does awesome research all the time looking at some of these questions like what happens in this scenario and this is maybe a two-year-old study at this point but he found when a wide receiver vacates targets that is as focal to the offense as someone like Devontae Adams is it often goes to the running back position and we have a pretty decent I mean decent because it's football it's always small sample sizes but decent sample of Aaron Jones playing without Devontae Adams and his reception volume yardage touchdowns just skyrocket and so I think when you're looking at the Packers, 
Aaron Jones is going to be the focal point of this team. Last year, he was going you know somewhere around the one-two turn. He started off the year in round three. It was an obvious smash at that ADP. And now I, I still think he's kind of undervalued in like the middle to back half of round two. Um, he has top five running back upside, obviously, in his range of outcomes this year. And so I think when you're looking at who could have an outlier reception year, an outlier touchdown year, Aaron Jones definitely fits the bill. Yeah, Aaron Jones has caught more passes per game every year of his NFL career than the year prior. Probably a good bet to do that again. The Packers are interesting because it feels like a lot of these guys, and obviously we have an ambiguous receiving core here, but a lot of trepidation is priced into the Packers, even A.J. Dillon, except for Aaron Jones. He's going the other direction of all these guys. So it is pretty interesting here when you look at it from like a Packers perspective and where Aaron Jones is going that he's the one guy that's like getting kind of like, all right, this isn't going to affect him at all. He's going to be the beneficiary. Um, Packers definitely one of the more intriguing teams that I'm excited to see this year as well, too, because remember three years ago, I mean, people were ready to get off Aaron Rodgers, right? Like he had come off two years where like, Ooh, Rodgers is kind of overrated now, isn't he? Then he reels off back-to-back MVPs. You lose (laughs) uh, Devontae Adams, like, you know, and he plays in this this division that still looks pretty soft on the surface as well. So I don't expect him to have like a 2019 like Tom Brady type of situation where the talent was just so depleted around Brady that we see we saw it impact his fantasy performance. But you do see it priced in with Rodgers where he's going in fantasy drafts, you know, around the QB 13, QB 14, very high QB two. Um, and then obviously it's a price center receivers because nobody knows what the hell's going on. And then a little bit with AJ Dillon, but Aaron Jones is the one guy everyone seems to be like circling back to. Uh, yeah. So what are we looking at for a wide receiver? Yeah, for sure. And I just will say, sometimes people will say like it's Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon. The answer to both is yes. I want exposure to both these guys. I think they're both awesome. And you know, the upside they prevent if either one would go down to injury is just insane. So love them both at their cost. And then for wide receiver, you know, this is going to be, I think a little bit more of a controversial take. I'm in on Amon Ross St. Brown. I feel like he's a guy that people will just say, yeah, look what he did. But yeah, I guess who was out. You know, it was TJ Hawkinson was out. DeAndre Swift was out. He was competing with like Khalif Raymond for targets. And I get that argument for sure. But what I'm saying is you do not do what you did in the NFL if you are not good at the game. He is going to run a ton of routes out of the slot where Jared Goff has historically targeted Cooper Cup. I mean, you're looking at opportunity there. We talked about um, Jameson Williams and his recovery. I'm not sure he's going to be a focal point this year. And so I think the expectation, you know, down the stretch, he was the wide receiver too behind only Cooper Cup. Should we expect that? Of course not. But I think he's a player that can outperform his ADP. Somewhere coming in like wide receiver, let's say like 17 to 20, would not be shocking at all. And so he's going at wide receiver 30, wide receiver 31 range-ish in ADP. And I'm definitely comfortable taking him there because of how efficient he was last year. And, And hopefully he can, you know, with regression baked in still outperform where he's going into his ADP. Yeah. I, I love Amon Ra for a couple factors, not just the strong finish that he had. And, you know, you always think about the Maya Angela quote, like when someone shows you who, who they are, believe them the first time. Right. Uh, right. This is a guy that was, is a, he was, he was a high caliber, you know, recruit at college. He played in an offense in the slot with, with more, where Michael Pittman, you know, had, you know, over a hundred catches then Michael Pittman leaves. They move him outside. It's curly, He's clearly playing out of position, kind of as like a down year entering the NFL. He then just thrives in the slot. And when I say believe who people show you are the first time too, TJ Hawkinson has kind of shown us that he doesn't deserve the target share that he, he's gotten the last you know year and a half that he's played. So I'm curious if he kind of accrues that or if Amon Ra was just 
too good that they can't rebottle it, right? And then, you know, right. he's also talked about the when they let go of Anthony Lynn during the season, they had him running a different little bit of a different route tree and then kind of freeing up some things for him as well, paired with the obviously that they had to get him the football because of the injuries. But uh, he's a guy that I think that the room has just kind of left alone because, you know, we worry so much about like this regression stuff. Um, but his price, you know, right around wide receiver 30 is just like, what are we really risking, you know, here uh, at, at all with him? And then I also love tried and true year two wide receivers, best our best bang for your buck on guys that beat ADP and turn in values. Um, he's he's right in that bucket that those guys like Amon Ross St. Brown, Elijah Moore. Devonte Smith right in that row of like wide receiver threes uh, Rashad Bateman just a little touch higher but he's still like on the fringe wide receiver three like these are all guys you want to make investments in now because while people have one foot out because they haven't completely shown it yet and Amara actually did show us a little bit of a sample of it um, you want to try to leave like your drafts with two or three of these players even Kadarius Tony uh, a little bit later uh, these year two wide receivers have been tried and true investments and then soak up those guys get, get a few of them on each roster I love it, man. This is music to my ears because <laughs> I was talking with Kyle about this this week and he was like, I, I don't know, man. I don't see it. Like Lions aren't going to be that good. And, you know, last year it was just insanely efficient. I think he's going to regress. And so uh, I'm happy that you pointed out again, because I didn't even think of that in my analysis that, yeah, these year two wide receivers, like you said, are gold for fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Get on them here. So listen, uh, it, it went as great as I was hoping it was going to go. Our first, you know, kind of, uh, you know, soiree here. Uh, hopefully we get to do it again. <laughs> uh, you know, it was great having you on. I'll give you a free form here. You know, plug anything you've got going on. Let the people know where they can find your work on Twitter. Uh, you know, all your football work. And, you know, hopefully you get some sleep here soon with uh, these twins. <laughs> Yes, that is goal number one is get some sleep. But yeah, you can find all my work uh, with the fantasy footballers on the website uh, in the ultimate draft kit. And then as far as podcasting and that sort of thing, you can find me on the DFS podcast. We still go all year long. Um, it's probably a bad name because we call it the DFS show, even though in the summer we're talking best ball and betting and that sort of thing. But in season DFS content for sure. And then I also do an injury show. It's called the Injury Blitz podcast as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at the fantasy PT. Yeah, there you have it, man. Matthew Betts, get on his work if you're not following it. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I will be back next week with another guest. I won't spoil who I'm going to have. Also next week, remember that Sharp Football Preview book. It's coming out next week, so look for that. And good luck, everybody. Uh, and hopefully, you know, nobody just gets hurt here this week, you know, in the span here before we're back on next week. We'll talk to you guys soon.